welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. With us today is Christina Richmond, Program Vice President at IDC. She's an industry analyst, and she's here to talk to us all about the analyst lifestyle. Christina, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Alan, I am so excited to be on your podcast. It's a long time coming, and boy, I love that howdy, y'all. I am happy to be here. First, a brief word about our sponsor. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged, that need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned, that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity, until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this show. So tell us a little bit about how you got into InfoSec and tell us a little bit about your day job. I got into InfoSec through being an analyst. So here's what happened. Uh, I joined the tech community about 20 plus years ago. Don't want to give away my age. And I was in storage. Shout out to all those storage folks. They do a lot of important work and security is a lot hotter. <laughs> so I got into storage. I did really enjoy my, my work in tech. I was uh, more on the marketing side than in the technology side. And then about six, seven years in, I became an analyst. And I was on the channels and distribution side, which means that I was looking at the partnerships. I was looking at solutions that were being built. And it was across about 13 different technologies. So I was looking at PCs, printers, networking, security, servers, storage, you name it. I was looking at it. And I was talking about the way products went to market. And I discovered security. And that is like the drug. Security is really interesting. And if you're an analyst, you're typically a really curious person. And so that was my introduction. Did that for five or six years. And then I left the analyst world for a couple of years. If I were to come back, I said to myself, what would I want to study? And it was security. And when I came back three years later, that's what I started doing is security. So that's how I got into security. And it is it's more than a gateway drug. It is fascinating. I learn every day, and I love it. That makes you my first guest who didn't start in IT or the military, if I recall correctly. Um, that's really cool. That's a great background. So what, a little bit about what do you do? You're a vice president in charge of some other analysts, I take it, and, and you're in the security space. Real quick, just a little bit about your day job so people understand what the heck you actually do day to day. Analysts have to have curiosity, as I mentioned. We have, to, we have to be really interested. We have to listen well. We have to want to learn at the foot of the master. So from folks like you, from other folks in the industry, CISOs and uh, VPs of security and those folks who create security services offerings, which is what I study is security services, you have to be really curious. You have to be really interested and you have to listen well. So I have learned, I've been doing this 16 years. And so yeah. what I do every day is I have hours and hours of calls and briefings. Analysts will tell you that that is the downfall of being an analyst, is we talk to hundreds of companies a year, hundreds. And I'm not even joking. And so what happens in a call, it could be an inquiry where they ask us, what do you think about this new upcoming 
service that we're creating and how do you think we should launch it and what should the messaging be and where does it fit in the market and we try to answer all those questions and typically because we've talked to hundreds of different companies we have a really good sense of where the market's headed and we know who's doing what mm -hmm. and we know why they're doing it and what solutions those are for the client we can advise those companies so that's one set of calls another set is just what I like to call stuff the analyst it's Give us a briefing, tell us what your company is about, tell us what you do, why are you special, how do you differentiate, and then how can we help you? So that's a briefing. So those hundreds of calls serve two purposes. The other thing that we do is we synthesize all of that information. We synthesize it into what's between our ears. So what do we think about the market? Why do we think this is a growing area of cybersecurity? Why do we think this service is necessary? So we synthesize different areas of the market and then we write about it. So we write, we talk a lot, we do presentations, we do webinars, we're on podcasts, and we answer questions. I think that's all we do. I may have missed something, but there's a lot to being an analyst. And the chief thing I would say that's really important is you have to be curious. And, and yeah, there's other pieces. You have to be articulate, you have to be able to write, you have to be able to kind of put together all these different ideas and synthesize them into something that you can serve up. Does that answer the question? Yeah, that does. That does. And it gets me thinking the synthesize piece, there's a feedback loop component there that you're alluding to where you're ingesting the whole of the industry by way of the parts of the industry and can then turn around and speak to either the whole of the parts as needed based on that ingestion, right? Like there's this Oof. perpetual feedback cycle. I like that, that you're Love that. You're seeing the market trends, you're talking to the individual players, and then you can come back after those individual players' conversations and speak to market trends or name the individual players based on market trends. That's cool. I love what you just said, and that is so right on. It is the learning about the whole from the parts, and then it's the feedback loop of being able to talk about the parts from the whole. I love that. One thing you're reminding me of is that we do quantitative work too. So IDC is known for its forecasts and its sizing of markets. And the reason why I didn't mention is because it's not one of my favorite parts of the job. Honestly, my favorite part is the synthesizing, the writing, the speaking, the helping. I love helping. And that is a core point in my job anyway, is how can I help a company do better? How can I help them be more successful? But the quantitative is equally important, right? Because we size the market. We, we help companies understand where where is this market headed and how big is it going to get and then they want to know what's my piece of it you know <laughs> so what is the total addressable market for me so we do all of that we also do custom work so we help with custom total addressable market forecasts we also look at writing a white paper i know that's kind of a a legacy term but short or long, we write papers uh, that are on a custom basis for companies, or we do speaking engagements. So there's a ton that we do, but I think my favorite is what I articulated in the beginning. So you mentioned a little bit about what it takes to be a good analyst, right? And you mentioned writing skills. You mentioned communication skills. Obviously, there's an analyst uh, component to being an analyst. <laughs> you know, the analytical skills have to be there as well. That ability to dissect and pick out the parts from the whole and, and produce a whole from the parts, like it sounds like there's a, it's both a right and a left brain job is kind of what I'm hearing to be an analyst in security. Is that, is that a fair assessment? It is a really fair assessment. So on that topic, I am looking to hire. So if anybody knows anybody, let me know. Uh, we're looking to hire somebody at the director level, which is, you know, they own 
they own a practice, they own an area, they're, they're developing the business. So there's that skill too. What I like to say is that to be an effective analyst, you have to have at least two of three legs of a stool. Mm-hmm. You could be a practitioner. You could be a cybersecurity practitioner. And that's a big part of understanding the market. I had to learn security. I mean, it was a fire hose coming at me, you know, for several years. Cybersecurity was like I was drinking from the font. (laughs) So that's one is understanding the technology or or the, the area that you're studying. The other area that we're looking for, the other leg of the stool is, um, either having been an analyst before or being in market research of some kind. So you know what the gig is. You know how to approach asking questions and getting the research done, whether it's primary research or it's just anecdotal research. So being an analyst or being in market research is a really critical component. And then the third thing is is a bit more soft skills. It's what I would call executive presence. Mm-hmm. An executive presence means you come off well, you're presentable, you can talk, you can write, you can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. Right. Gravitas. And sometimes that's important. Gravitas is always important too. But I also like to have fun. As you can tell, I like to laugh. I like to have fun. So gravitas is important at very key moments, but you also have to have a really easygoing personality because I think analysts have been given a bad rep, you mm-hmm. know, that we're the difficult stuff shirts that you need to impress and you've got to treat us like VIPs. Mm-hmm. I'd like to throw that moniker out. Maybe there's still some out there that like that, but honestly, I I really enjoy the helping side of being an analyst and that means I have to show up as my whole person and I have to be mm-hmm. real and honest and down to earth because otherwise I can't help. And I like to have yeah. fun. So I think those are key components of being an analyst. I would also say the left and right sides of the brain that you talked about, really interesting I, you know, way of looking at it because there is art and science to it. So you're absolutely right. You have to be able to bring these different parts of yourself and gather the information, quantify the information kind of on the left side of the brain, but then think about it and be artistic with it on the right side of the brain. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's kind of a, I'm thinking of other roles that, that have that, that similarity. There's, you know, anything that's highly technical, but also customer facing or anything that's highly technical meets marketing or anything, you know, there's that, there's that split, that, that, that left, right brain hopping that you have yeah. to do. So you mentioned the stuff shirt thing. I also, I'm going to throw out another one I've heard, which is that analysts sometimes catch flack, you know, for being uh, out of touch, right? Is one of the accusations. So how do you sure. ensure that you're, you're not that analyst? How do you add the real value, stay in the game, be a part of it, and, and not get that out-of-touch label slapped on your forehead? It is definitely a danger. You know, I think some folks go to the analyst world to retire. Oh, wow. And I'm going out on a limb here. I'm not one of them. I don't know a lot of those types of analysts. But I have heard that analysts sometimes come from a long background as a practitioner or whatever they were before and that they just want a soft gig. I'll tell you what I do is not a soft gig. And I will tell you that most analysts I know work really hard, long hours. They work their tushes off. You have to want it. You have to be interested. And if you're curious and interested, you're not going to fall asleep at the wheel and not learn something. So I would say, the way I deal with 
that criticism is I just talk to tons of folks. I'm constantly learning. I'm learning from you. I'm also learning from CISOs and from, you know, folks who build and, and put together security services. And if I'm not interested, then I'm, I'm asleep at the wheel. And so I can see how an analyst could get that flack if they exist. I really haven't met any analysts like that, to be honest with you. And I know a lot. I know a lot of analysts. So maybe it exists, maybe it doesn't. I personally know two analysts, including yourself. I've had encounters in the industry, like professional analyst relationships with probably another dozen. And right. I haven't seen that, that, that out of touch phenomenon to, to any scary degree. Uh, although I have sometimes felt like, especially as a practitioner, sometimes I feel like I'm having to sit them down and be like, no, 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 that's not how it actually works. I appreciate that's what the paper says, but here's the real world where the rubber meets the road and the blinky light actually blinks left, not right. And the twisty knob dials up, not down and, and getting into the technicals and the dailies of the, you know, like, like sometimes as a non-practitioner, they're going to come off as a non-practitioner. And I don't think there's anything you can do to escape that one. Absolutely. I am not a technologist. I'll be the first to admit that. And there's a benefit to having a non-technologist covering a space. But you also have to stay humble and open. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm the first one to say, I don't have a CS degree. I have a French, French lit major degree. Right on. I'm terminally curious. And so I have taught myself everything to do with storage when I was back in storage. Everything I've had to learn about security, I'm learning constantly. I can talk, you know, you name the acronym in cybersecurity. I can talk ZTNA and XDR and MDR and uh, all kinds of different things that are out SOAR and SASE and, you know, you name the acronyms. But, yeah. Yeah. but I can't tell you which way the blinky lights go because I've never been a practitioner. And I think right. it's important to know that analysts take all shapes and sizes and we have a benefit from bringing in somebody who thinks about the market differently. So I learn from you when you tell me the blinky lights go left instead of right. And, I, and I'm blessed and grateful for that. And then I write about it and I check it. I do my research yeah. and I check it back with the client. So if you could tell the industry one thing about the plight of the analyst, what would that be? Overwhelm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, in terms of cybersecurity, we're all overwhelmed, right? Yep. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough skills in the people. Uh, we study all of this. You know, the skills gap is real. Some say that it, it could be ameliorated by looking outside STEM and outside CS and looking for weirdos like me who have a French lit degree. Mm -hmm. I've seen threat researchers and, you know, they've come from philosophy backgrounds or, or theater backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And they're cool. They're looking at the problem from a very different perspective when they're, you know, looking at alerts and doing that level one or level two investigation. They're looking at it from a very different methodology. And it brings mm -hmm. benefit to the industry. So some would say that the skill shortage doesn't exist. But I would tell you also that we don't have the right skills. One of the top skills that we're missing is cloud security. That is a huge one. We don't have enough folks who really yeah. understand how to build and build securely in the CICD model. And to, to do it across multi-clouds is even harder. So I would say overwhelm. We have a dearth of cloud security in the practitioner ranks. We have a dearth of data management yes. people, data scientists yes. in the practitioner realm. And so that's what I study and that's what I see. So no, in the analyst realm, we're overwhelmed because there aren't enough of us. And then it's a very specialized set of skills and we talk to so many companies. I mean, this one conversation we're having right now, I started it 
eight on calls and it's been back to back all day. So I don't know, you do the math, that's six or eight calls, something like that. And so and when do you get your work done? It's hard. It's hard to yeah. do the writing and yeah. the synthesizing and the thinking when you're on a call every hour for six or eight hours. So I think overwhelm yeah. and then making sure that you're really hitting all the areas of the market that you need to hit. And then I'm also a, a manager of, you know, areas and of people. And so there's that administrivia that I need to look at. But all of that said, it is so interesting and so fun. And it's the best job I've ever had, honestly. What is your absolute favorite part about it then? Helping. Helping. And so what that looks like is somebody calls me up and says, uh, we're, we're looking at a new remote incident response service. And we're, we're going to do it in XYZ way. And we're answering the call from work from home and the COVID pandemic hitting everybody. And we want to make sure that we can give them more hours for less money. And uh, we can also cover their endpoint, their cloud, their network telemetry. We've got, you know, add-on telemetry that we've brought in from outside sources. We are contextualizing it. We've got the boots on ground that we're keeping remote. But how can we launch this service in a way that makes sense to the market? How can we launch this service to make sure that it's relevant in the industry? And that's where I get to help. And that's just one example. I mean, it goes from managed security services to managed detection and response to XDR store, which we talked about earlier. I look at uh, consulting and advisory services, integration services. So you name the service realm. And if I get to help a company tell their story properly, see where it fits in the industry, see where it fits in the market, see how it's going to help their specific type of customer in the industries that they like to serve. That's something I'm here to do, and I really like that. Also, if I can make connections, I like to make connections both in terms of industry connections, like, oh, isn't it interesting that this part goes with this part? I'm not really thinking of a good example, but putting those two together sometimes helps in describing a market. Mm-hmm. But I also like to make connections between people. I look at myself as a little bit of a matchmaker, bringing people together who might need to work together on a project or a partnership or an acquisition down the road. So I, I really like helping. That's probably my favorite thing. We've talked about what you love about it. Let's flip that question around now. What's the thing you would love to change the most about the analyst role? What's the If you could make something better in some way or get rid of some part or add some part, what what would you change? I wouldn't throw anything out. I would have more people doing more of the work because really there is a resource shortage in the analyst realm. You know, like when you look at forecasts and market sizing or, or you know, those custom TAMs that I talked about, and you think about who did that work, I think a lot of times people think we go to a closet and take it off the shelf and dust it off and just give it to you. And really, we don't. We do all the work ourselves. I think interns and junior analysts, uh, more of them are needed. So that's what I would change. All right. So advice for us on the other side of the fence. I'm a practitioner and I'm considering an analyst relationship and I'm wanting to get the best out of my analysts. Like what's, what's your advice? How do, how do I engage an analyst? What am I supposed to do? How do I get the best value from my analyst? Bias chocolate. Bias chocolate. Hang on. I'm taking notes. <laughs> Treat us like human beings. Don't expect us to have it off the shelf right out of the box. We don't need special treatment. We don't need to be treated like, at least I don't. Don't treat me like a very important person that you have to schmooze and blow smoke at. 
we can sniff that one out. If you're telling us that your solution is the best thing since baseball, I'm not going to buy it. We can sniff that out. We've talked to thousands of people and thousands of companies, and we know when an offering doesn't really have legs. And so tell us that you're still trying to figure it out. Tell us that you're working out the details. It's not fully built. It's not ready to go generally available or GA. Ask us for our help. That really floats my boat. If you say, how can you help me? That's where I get excited. It's when people are blowing smoke our way. That doesn't work for me. Uh, come with a deck to present what you're presenting. We mm -hmm. get so much information, and it helps us to have some of it in a visual format. Help us help you. So you know what right. an analyst really is helpful for, right, Alan? It's really we're influencers in the market. We talk to your mm -hmm. prospective buyers. We need to know what you do, but we also need to know what doesn't work yet and where you're not. Because if we advise a buyer that they should look at your offering and you're on their short list and there's two other companies that do it better, we're guiding them down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Now, you might say, why should I tell you that it doesn't work if you're just going to go tell my prospect that it doesn't work yet? That's not how we do it. We keep everything that you tell us under NDA or non-disclosure. Mm -hmm. And we, we want to lift all boats. So if I'm talking to a buyer and they're saying, well, there's this company, number A, number B, number C, what do you think about them? I'm going to tell them all the best about each one of them. And I'm very diplomatic if I have to say anything. Like, well, you know, they're on the road. That's on the roadmap. It's on the, on the path for them. I'm not going to point out, oh, that, that's crap. I'm never going to say that. And an analyst who calls you out in public is not doing their job right, I don't think. Um, they really need to be diplomatic because you want to lift all boats. You want to help the companies that you're helping, but you also want to guide the prospect properly. Mm -hmm. So we're influencers. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you're honest with us. You want to make sure that you tell us what's going on. You want to ask for our help. Don't try to hide that something doesn't work because we'll sniff it out. <laughs> I got a, a challenge round question for you on that same vein. Imagine that you are a vendor who actually truly feels you've done something innovative and new, right? And I know every single vendor says we're doing something innovative and new. There's not a single vendor on the planet doesn't think they're innovative. But I'm talking about groundbreaking. I'm talking about the very first CASB that ever came out, the very first DLP that ever came out, the very first EDR that ever came out. What do you do when you really are the innovator and you're approaching the analysts and the analysts are sitting there with their quadrants and charts and waves and all the other things they have and there's no bucket made for you. How does that transition happen? I've always been curious about how does somebody brand new actually break out, become a thing, get a label attached and now EDR exists or whatever it might be. So I'm going to tell you a story. I was back in Framingham, Massachusetts where IDC used to be headquartered mm -hmm. and Stu McClure from Silence came into the office and it was actually a holiday and I was the only one in the building and he and I sat down and he made all the blinky lights go off in my computer with this new thing called EDR from Silence. Mm -hmm. And it was extraordinary and it was really exciting for me to sit down and see these lights light up and tell me what was going on in my environment. Mm -hmm. It was a new category. So you have to ask your analyst to help you figure out a new category to potentially write about it. 
So if it's a really interesting category, and that one was, mm -hmm. and blasted off and was fascinating to research and write to, and Stu and I had a lot of discussions and debates, you know, where I was disagreeing with some of the beliefs that he and the team had, but also praising a lot of the technology and advancements that they made. And those debates were behind scenes. I would never reveal them publicly. But what we wrote and what others wrote at that time was about this new area that was really taking off and could help you detect and respond faster at the endpoint than anything we'd seen using these advanced technologies like ML and AI. So you have to create a new, you have to create a new category. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not always easy because if you're a company of one and you're the only one doing it and it's not fully fleshed out and it's not exciting, an analyst might not want to do that. They right. might not want to help you create a new category. And by the way, we don't just do marketscapes, which is our version of the magic quadrant or a wave. We don't just evaluate. We just, we don't just rate companies against one another. We write about the new. Mm -hmm. We write about the exciting. So get us to write about that. And sometimes that means you have to really impress an analyst with the technology. Bring your CTO, bring your practitioner, bring you know your marketing folks. And sometimes it means you need to buy a custom write-up also because it's so important to you and we're not getting it yet. So you're going to help us get it by paying us to write it. And I, I don't mean it's pay for play. I just mean that we wouldn't do it as part of the syndicated research because we don't understand yet that that's what this category is. Right. So you have to help us. All right. One last question I ask every guest as we get to the end of the show here, and you've already told us a little bit about this, but just to make sure I'm crystal clear, what keeps you going in cyber? Why do you hop out of bed in the morning, jump into your shoes and say, all right, another day of cyber? Every day there's a new breach. Every day someone is suffering because a Florida water system was poisoned or because the oil, uh, the, the, the gas pipeline has been, you know, interrupted and we're not going to have gas at our gas stations or because, you know, you name it, our, our government agencies are being hacked or our own data is being pulled out of Microsoft Exchange. I mean, you name it. There are so many reasons to get up every morning. And so I think every cybersecurity person needs a mission. The security analysts I know, the CISOs I know, the, the white hat hackers I know, they're the ones who are fighting the bad guys right in front of them, very tactically, very directly, and I'm their support. So I'm here to help them get the word out, to make sure that their service is understood, to make sure that they're offering the right service. And so I don't need to look very far for a reason to get up in the morning for cybersecurity, but I do, I do need to remember that my place is not the block and tackle, karate chopping, <laughs> blue team defender. I'm the, the backup singer to that. I'm the one helping make sure the message gets out behind them. And that's really important to me. It's really important to me. And Army runs on its supply lines. That's a great answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. Awesome. Well, listen, Christina Richmond, Program Vice President at IDC, Industry Analyst. Thank you so much for coming and sharing a little bit about the analyst life with our listeners. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.